This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 2. And uh, primarily, well, this morning we, we read verses 1 through 12, and I'm going to go ahead and read verses 13 through 23 now. And, and we may recap a little bit and then I'll also pick up from there. Verse 13, and let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll read. Father, again, we just thank You uh, for the privilege of being here, for the honor, Lord, of having Your uh, Word in our possession, being able to pick up and read Your revelation. It's awesome privilege, awesome blessing. We ask tonight as we uh, discuss the uh, content before us that You would grant uh, understanding and ability. Please enable me to speak the message You would have delivered Please enable all of us to hear what uh, you are saying to your church, to correctly grasp uh, the meaning of this passage and to properly apply it to our lives. Lord, we're so thankful for divine providence. Uh, You're working in history. You're working in our lives as individuals. And we pray that You make us more aware of Your workings in and around us. For Your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 13. <clears throat> Remember this morning we talked about the, uh, the wise men, the magi, coming from the east uh, to see uh, the child, king of the Jews. And, and I, I don't remember if I mentioned or not this morning, but... Actually, at this point, Jesus is probably somewhere around two years old. Uh, so it's not like often you see in the nativity scenes, you know, the wise men don't, don't show up at the, uh, at the nativity. This is probably a couple years later. If you notice, uh, he's in a house at this time. The, the star leads them to the house where he is. That's in verse 11. And, uh, one reason we, we, uh, Assume that he's probably in the neighborhood of two years old uh, is because we're going to see in these verses that Herod, in an effort to kill Jesus, kills all the babies two years old and under. He, he, he determines from the wise men at what time they saw the star. And then, in fact, look at verse 7. You'll see, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them, what time the star appeared. So he, he, he asked them, what time did you see the star uh, that signaled to you that the king of the Jews had been born? And then, uh, let's see, you look down in verse 16. Let's see, Herod saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. He sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So apparently they, he inquired of them, when did you see the star in the east? And they 
said roughly two years ago. So Herod, um, in an effort to kill this child, Jesus killed all the children in that district two years and younger. Um, so this is probably Jesus at this time is roughly two years old. And the, and the wise men uh, are visiting him at uh, what is a more permanent residence, uh, not the stable. And so, a lot, a lot of little things get interjected there. Like I said this morning, we don't know how many wise men there were. We don't, you know, we don't, people say three, but we really don't know that. May, may have been many more. Uh, and, uh, and we see that they came much later, not, not showed up at the nativity, did not show up at the nativity. All right, so beginning in verse 13, we'll pick up there. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Okay, what I want us to consider here tonight um, is the providence of God. The providence of God in these events. And, and uh, uh, think of it in really a personal way. Um, the, the extent that God will go to to get His message to us. Uh, so, you know, think of it in terms of that. The extent that God will go to to make Himself known to us and um, consider His power in that He has the ability to do what He determines to do. Providence of God, or we could say it this way, um, and and I'm because I'm meaning that in this light. Think of the uh, the vulnerability of Jesus and the preserving power of God. Now, here's what I mean by that. I don't want to I don't want to be 
misunderstood there. Because her people say, you know, that's amazing that God, God, God entrusted His only begotten Son to this uh, young lady, this this young couple. Uh, you know, they what? They were irresponsible and uh, you know messed up the whole plan. Well, that's the whole point of this message. That wouldn't happen uh, because uh, it's actually God making things work. But on the surface, and this is why I mentioned the vulnerability of Jesus, because on the surface, from a human perspective, there were multiple things that could have stopped this whole deal. Um, Jesus was, it appears, again, from a human perspective, Jesus was in a very vulnerable position. After all, He's just a, an infant, just a baby at this time, just a toddler and the reigning king in Judea uh, seeking to kill him. So, very vulnerable position. But, it assures us that uh, things don't happen by chance. Uh, you know, Jesus didn't grow up uh, under uh, the care and authority of Mary and Joseph by luck. You know, you, so, we, so we can't, you know, boy, we sure are lucky that, uh, you know, Herod didn't get to him or something like that and take him out. No, it was, uh, it was a case, just like all things, it was a case of God doing what He determined to do. It's a case of God working all things according to His own plan. Even things that seem to us uh, to be chaotic. Imagine uh, being in the midst of this scenario and uh, living in, in the land of Judea when Herod issues this decree that all of the children two years and younger, uh, all of the male children two years and younger will be destroyed. Uh, imagine uh, the kind of grief uh, and chaos. I'm reminded here of a, of a passage from Job. Uh, Job 14.1 Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. And do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me to judgment with yourself? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. That's a, that's a powerful statement. Um, Job says, Man's, man who is born of woman, that's all of us, his days are few and full of trouble. That's the way it seems. Sometimes, doesn't it? And Job is going through all of this turmoil. In other words, it looks like uh, chaos reigns at times. And Job says he's like a flower that fades away. That is man. In other words, you're just, you're just here for a little while and you're gone. You flee like a shadow and you don't continue. Other places in Scripture say that our life is like a vapor. So, so uh, we're just, we just appear for a few moments when, when you think of the big scheme of things. 
in relation to us. We just appear for a few moments and we're gone. And while we're here, oftentimes, trouble. Man's days are few and full of trouble. And yet, Job says to the Lord of man, man's days are determined. The number of his months is with you, he says to the Lord. That is, you, you have control of the number of months that man will live. You have appointed his limits so that he cannot pass. It's literally appointed unto a man to die once. God has marked out our time here. So, while it may, from our perspective, look like things are chaotic at times, in reality, God's in control. Working all things according to His own plan, according to His own good pleasure. Now, we see that played out here in Matthew 2 in the life of Jesus as a young child. And, uh, but it also applies to us. God... Uh, works all things, Ephesians 1.11, according to the counsel of His own will. Right? So all things are in His control. Romans 8.28, often quoted, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things. God is able to do that. He's able to work all things together for our good. He does work all things according to the counsel of His own will. And so while things from our perspective look like chance, in reality, it's divine providence. God ordering events. And that's, again, what we're, what we're seeing play out here with Jesus. Now, uh, Matthew builds this part. Uh, we could say chapter 2, although he didn't have it divided up in chapters, but what we're calling chapter 2 here. Matthew builds it around four prophecies. And this is one thing you want to watch for as we go through Matthew because his, uh, his gospel is coming from a, a very uh, Jewish perspective. So he's, he's, he's writing from a Jewish perspective and he is writing to convince Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. That's why he starts out talking about Jesus as the Christ. And then he begins to give Scripture after Scripture after Scripture from the Old Testament to support what he's saying. So those quotes, so something you want to watch for as we go through Matthew. He, he, you know, this was done so that it might be fulfilled, you know, so that this might be filled. This was done so that this might be fulfilled. And we got four cases of that here in chapter 2. First in verse 6, we read this morning, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You see God's providence at work there. And Luke gives us a lot more uh, of the, the, the behind-the-scenes events there. Uh, Caesar Augustus called for a, a, a census that all, the, all the, uh, the Roman world there should be taxed. And so they had to uh, report to their, their, what we would call their hometown to register. And all the world should be registered, rather. And they had to report to register. And so Joseph... Being from the tribe of Judah, has to go to uh, and from the town of Bethlehem has to go to Bethlehem to register. And in the process of all that, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, fulfilling 
the prophecy of Micah chapter 2. Now, that's either incredible luck that uh, a man who lived in Nazareth, Joseph, was able to get his you know, pregnant wife to Bethlehem and able, uh, you know, just by chance to fulfill this, uh, luckily fulfill this prophecy. Or it's the hand of God. And I'd say it's the hand of God. And, and you see how he, again, works all things. He's not, he's not only got Joseph on the move. You know, an angel appears to Joseph and you're, you're going to have a, uh, Mary's, Mary's going to have a son. Don't, don't uh, fear taking her as your wife. And, and an angel appears to Mary and gives her the news. Not only working with them, but he's even moving on Caesar Augustus, a pagan ruler, to decree that all the kingdom should be registered in order to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. So there's one, verse 6. You, Bethlehem, and here's the fulfillment, and I should say verse 5. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, that is the, the, uh, the priests and the scribes are telling Herod, Christ must be born in Bethlehem. Why? For thus it is written by the prophet. It is Micah, Micah chapter 5. Verse 6, he's quoting. Uh, Matthew's quoting from Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, here's the prophecy. Hundreds of years before Christ is born, he must, the Christ must be born in Bethlehem. And Matthew is saying, uh, and this was fulfilled. It was done. And again, we know from the record of Luke some details about how it was done uh, through the decree of Caesar Augustus. Okay, and the second one, verse 15, uh, when, when uh, the threat is there to uh, kill all of the uh, male children, um, an angel appears to Joseph again. And commands him in verse 13 to take the child into Egypt. And verse 14 says, When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled. There's the phrase again, the formula. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Uh, from Hosea, uh, from the book of Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew is saying that verse uh, applies to, um, as a prophecy concerning Jesus. And it was fulfilled. Um, angel, because of the threat, uh, the angel tells Joseph, take the child to Egypt. So they go and they live in Egypt until Herod dies. And then he comes, Jesus comes out of Egypt, fulfilling Hosea 11.1. And then the third one, uh, the result of Herod killing all the children uh, in in and around Bethlehem, all of the male children. Uh, Verse 17, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, I mentioned this morning, before we get to the last one here, I mentioned this morning 
the extent to which Herod is willing to go to here uh, to rid himself of what of this child that he considers to be a threat. Now, this morning we we primarily focused in on the Magi and the fact that they came all that way uh, in search of the King of the Jews to worship Him. The, the flip side of that is, I mean, they, they, theirs is a story of someone who seeks the Lord and worships the Lord. But the flip side of that is those who rejected Him. And uh, Herod is, is one example here. He's not rejoicing at the news of the promised king. He's threatened by it. His, his own sovereignty is threatened by the arrival of Jesus, even though at this point Jesus is still just a child. But, you know, he's not, in his mind, he's not, uh, Herod's not taking chances. If this child really is the Messiah, then he's going to grow up to be king. And Herod's own sovereignty or we could say perceived sovereignty, is under threat. So here's how far he's willing to go to uh, maintain control. the best way I know to say it, although in reality we, we can see he doesn't, he doesn't really have any control, does he? But he thinks he does. And, uh, and so often that's the case with us. We, we think we're in control of, of things and uh, don't want to relinquish that to the Lord, which would be the best for us. So he, he so wants to maintain his own power that he's willing to kill a countless number of babies in order to get one child out of his way. It's a horrific, horrific thing. And, and by the way, if you if you read that and you think, uh, boy, that's barbaric. How could somebody do that? Uh, don't be deceived into thinking, you know, we we've outgrown that kind of atrocity. Our nation uh, has legalized the murder of unborn babies. And millions die every year. Millions. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, and it's based along the same lines. It's, it's, a, it's a, an attempt to maintain some kind of perceived autonomy. In other words, in the, in the name of women's rights... The right in our country, the right of a woman to have a choice is more important than that baby's right to life. That is some messed up logic. Uh, that's the way Herod is thinking also. So he's willing to kill all of these children in order to get one child and doesn't even succeed in what he's trying to do. 
And it's because of the providence of God. God's got a plan at work. He works all things according to the counsel of His own will. He does what He determines to do. He gets it done. Isaiah 55.11 So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Isaiah 46.10 The Lord says of Himself, that He's the one declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Daniel 4.35 says, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does, that is, God does, according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain His hand or say to him, what have you done? And then you take all of that, you know, the, the, the sovereignty of God, God's providential working in history, and it even applies on a personal level, level so that Peter says of us believers in 1 Peter 1.5 that we are kept by the power of God through faith, for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now think about that. Peter is assuring believers in the midst of persecution, though things may look chaotic, God is at work, and you as individuals are kept by the power of God. By the power of God. The same power... Um, that would justify the Lord saying, My word accomplishes what I send it to do. Or, as we saw in Isaiah 46, My counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. That is, God is omnipotent, all-powerful. And as Daniel said, No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? Or, as Paul says in Romans 9, Who has resisted his will? He does what He pleases because He has the power to do it. And so Peter is assuring believers that power is what keeps you. That's an awesome truth. A lot lot of assurance there. And again, we see it at work here in the life of Jesus with all that Herod is coming at Him with. He is kept. He is kept by the power of God. God is fulfilling His plan. And the fourth one, and this one is somewhat of a mystery, the fourth prophecy. I said this is built around four prophecies that Matthew shows are fulfilled. Verse 23, They came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled. There's the formula again. He's giving you an event and then saying this was done. A was done so that B might be fulfilled. So, they came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So, what Matthew is saying here in, in 
and citing that prophecy is obvious. He's saying, again, Jesus goes to Nazareth, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, uh, Jesus being a young child, go to Nazareth, not by chance, but so that prophecy might be fulfilled, so that he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, I said this one's somewhat of a mystery. Here is why. Because we don't know where that prophecy is. The first one in verse 6 is from Micah chapter 5. Um, the second one I gave you in verse 15 is from Hosea. And uh, the third one in verse 18 is from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31.15. And this one, quote, he shall be in verse, uh, verse 23, quote, he shall be called a Nazarene, unquote. Uh, we, we don't know where it comes from. Um, apparently, um, it's, it's not in the Scripture, um, so apparently uh, Matthew's readers would know, uh, would be familiar with the prophecy because he doesn't give any explanation. But, but, but regardless of that, again, he's making the point, prophets have spoken, he shall be called a Nazarene, and it has been fulfilled. God, again, has uh, accomplished uh, what He is determined to do by His providence. So, on the surface, it looks like Jesus, especially as a baby, as a young child, it looks like He's very vulnerable. I mean, surely uh, a king with with the power of Herod, working under the auspices of the Roman government, surely a king with that much power, would be able to take out one little child. But he's not able to do it. Uh, because it's, it's, it's not all dependent upon luck. It's dependent upon the working of God. God preserves, by His power, this child, Jesus. And He does the same thing for us. So, so here's... here's thing I kind of want us to, to uh, remember here, uh, as we already mentioned before, the extent that God is willing to go to to get His message to us. He's making Himself known. Now, uh, before we run out of time here, <clears throat> the difference in the Magi that we talked about this morning and Herod is that the Magi welcomed the news about this king of the Jews. They came seeking him when the message was delivered in the form of a, of a star, uh, which as I said this morning, uh, I think to be uh, just a, a miraculous, miraculous event of some kind. When the message was delivered to them of the coming of the Messiah, they went seeking him. And they went with the purpose to worship Him. Verse 2, we've come to worship Him. And in verse 11, when they came, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary and his mother, fell down and worshipped Him. And then they gave Him gifts. Their treasures, treasures, treasuries rather. They presented gifts to Him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Herod, on the other hand, um, 
doesn't welcome the news at all. And isn't it interesting, by the way, you have, you have Herod as king of Judea, the chief priest and the scribes uh, that he's consulting with. You've got, you've got you know, the, the, the secular authority, King Herod, and you've got the religious leaders represented here and the chief priests and scribes. And isn't it interesting that apparently none of them saw the star? Isn't it interesting that God would reveal what He's doing, this event, to foreigners, wise men in a foreign land, and not to the leaders of His own people in Israel? Isn't it interesting that He would make it known to shepherds in a field and not to chief priests in the temple? The shepherds received it and rejoiced. The Magi received it, came and worshipped. Herod and all of Jerusalem, it says, uh, verse 3, were troubled by the news. Did not want a new king over them. And yet, God is willing to do all of this to get the message out. And uh, does what He determines to do. Through His providential working, He makes His salvation plan known. Um, just for a moment as we close, think, think about your own experience and how He got a message to you. Think about God's providence in bringing you to the knowledge of the Savior. Think about how things worked in your life to bring you to, to the point and place uh, that you would accept and surrender to Him. Think about all the times that you could have been taken out of this world while you were still in a lost condition. And I'm sure we don't know. I can think of some in my own experience, but I'm sure I don't know uh, the half of them. It's God's providence at work. It's God's providence that puts you in a particular place at a particular time that makes His will known to you, that makes His salvation known to you. He is able to do that to bring us to salvation. And then He's able to continue working in our lives that way to keep us saved. So that Peter says, we are kept. We are kept by the power of God. Kept by the very power of God through faith, for salvation, ready to be revealed in last time. Our days here are few and sometimes seem full of trouble. But know that things aren't 
may seem, you know, chaotic at times, like they're spinning out of control, but God is in control. And His people are kept, not by our own wit, not by luck, but by His power, His providential care. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank You. Thank You that You're able to make Yourself known to us, to reveal Yourself. Thank You that You're able to grant life to us so that we can do what we would otherwise not do, so that we can hear and understand the Gospel message and surrender to Your Lordship rather than rebel against it as we see pictured here in in Herod. Lord, thank You that You're able to bring us to salvation and then that You're able to keep us through all of the turmoil of this world, through the trials, personal trials, through all of the pains, all of the illnesses, persecutions, uh, just events that are hard to understand at times. Lord, we thank You that our salvation is based upon what Christ has done in our behalf and that we are sured up and kept not by our own power, but by Your power. Thank You, Lord, for Your providential care. In Jesus' name, Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.